1: I'm Rebecca Lowe, host of NBC's coverage of the Premier League. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Plus, be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Well, this Premier League weekend, week 26 of fixtures, is actually spread over two weekends for this weekend, six next weekend, because it is the winter break, officially known as the mid-season player break. That is how the next two weekends are looking. Two of the elder statesmen, I think it's fair to say, in the (laughs) Premier League going head-to-head today. Roy Hodgson. Robbie, there have been Mm. rumours swirling around Selhurst Park over the last couple of weeks that actually, with his contract expiring at the end of the season, Mm. Hodgson was going to walk away and choose not to sign a new deal this summer. He's been disappointed. He came out in the papers yesterday about the lack of signing, certainly in the January transfer window, if not the transfer windows before. From both Roy Hodgson's perspective mm. and the club's, who it does now look like he might yet sign. Yeah. Do you think this relationship should continue?
2: I do, and I go back to the start of the relationship, Rebecca. Roy needed Palace when he'd come off a disappointing time as England manager, as much as Palace needed Roy. Some stability in staying in this league. Palace in the past have been a yo-yo team, innit? 72 years of age, Rebecca. It should be pipe slippers in the grandkids at the weekend. He's right in the heart of the Premier League, doing a capable job. He's a safe pair of hands. He keeps your your team, I think, in the league. And go back to the the start of Roy's um, tenure at the football club. Four losses under Frank de Boer Boer goes out. Three losses straight away under Roy. Seven games with no points that same season. Not only does he keep them up, he keeps them 11th in the league with 44 points. This guy... I wouldn't say guarantees, but, but gives you a security, a safety that you don't get with a fresher, a newer model, a more contemporary, a, a shiny shooting, suit in the slim pants. Yes, that's the more contemporary manager, but I'm not sure that contemporary manager guarantees you a place in the Premier League.
1: Well, the mid-table mediocrity that Roy Hodgson has brought to Crystal mm-hmm. Palace is what Palace fans have dreamt about really for generations to be an established Premier League club. They're not, as I say, out of the woods just yet. From his perspective, though, he could be forgiven for surely thinking, you know what, I'm 72, yeah. I've not been backed financially, so I don't want to risk my legacy at Palace. Maybe the grandkids and the pipe is what I want. To
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can forgive him for, for being in the neighborhood and, and yelling at kids to slow down in their cars <laughs> as they drive by. And You know, we joke about his age, but you have to say it's remarkable. He's still performing at the level he's at with the commitment it takes to be a good football manager, especially in the modern day. I, I just... You know, I wonder, it's more about Palace and what they see in this relationship than Roy Hodgson. Um, you know, I, I just don't understand their plan and where they want to go forward. Yes, staying in the Premier League is important, but a lot of clubs not the size of Crystal Palace and not enjoying Premier League success have more ambition or going for yeah, younger managers that bring risk. I, I just think, what's the plan? Pardue and then Allardyce and then Boer for no time and then Roy Hodgson. It's like... Some of these things don't match the other. So I'm fine with the plan if they say, listen, being boring at times, being defensive, staying in the Premier League is what we want to but do. But doesn't
2: Roy b- give you the time, buy you the time? The, the, the safe hands, Rebecca, that, that I think almost guarantee you a place in the Premier League, doesn't that give you time to find the next guy and not rush
3: into it this mm. summer? It's well, interesting it's to going to be, be. a hard b- battle. <laughs> it's six points clear at this point, so he's got a huge job to do.
1: He certainly has. with mm. a difficult run coming up and no strikers, as we've talked about, or not many strikers certainly – in form, Plenty going on around the Premier League since the shareholders meeting. The owners of the club were getting together at the Premier League on Thursday. Just want to bring you a couple of points that came out of that meeting this morning. The 2020-2021 season, next season, will start. It's been announced over the weekend of August the 8th. The transfer window will now close on September the 1st, which will realign the Premier League with Europe's other major leagues, just like it used to be. But the last two seasons, you'll remember it closed just before the beginning of the new season. And all the clubs have committed in the Premier League to introducing league-wide bans for anyone who are banned by their club for discriminatory, abusive or violent acts. Those are the headlines coming out of the shareholders' meeting on Thursday. Carl Martino, is something happening at long last at Everton?
3: Absolutely. And something already was happening when they had a high profile manager like Ancelotti, willing to take a project that I, no disrespect to Everton whatsoever. That's beneath what his CV has been able to warrant when he's on uh, on the free market. Um, there's still a a a transfer issue at this club we will see if that can get fixed with the fact that now players that will be in the window this summer are watching Ancelotti at everton with all the money behind machiri with the stadium news that's great all the all the buzz that we've had but not a positive transition or an execution plan now if they can continue this sustain it to the end of the season we might see a summer where everton football club can reach that ambition let's just go back to today rebecca
2: at the, the end of the game Carlo Ancelotti shook the referee's hand he wasn't happy There were days in the past when if Everton got three points, the champagne was flowing, it was like a party. He knew there was a 15 or 20-minute spell in the second half where Palace scored and could have gone on and got themselves ahead. So the standards now, it's not just about the three points. He knows that you've got to control football games better than his team did today.
1: How much do you think he feels they are away from a team in his reflection?
2: 12 months. Two windows. Two windows to the real Angelotti team, we're seeing benefits of an experienced manager who knows what he's doing, who's getting a, a reaction from his players... But there's another level to go, and that's the level that's going to take them towards the top six and at the
3: top end of the table. But that can come if he's given the right money and he's given time. Well, and and let's use Pep Guardiola as an example of it took Pep time to adjust to, to, to the Premier League, and he was given all the money he needed to go buy players and, and make a transition, and that also took place months in advance because he knew he was getting the job. So, you know, this, this, is, this is pretty quickly to look like the Everton they are right now.
4: Roy, you offered a lot more in that second half, but you still... Find yourself at the end of another defeat. What's your verdict?
5: Yeah, pretty much that. I thought that we we didn't start as well as we'd have liked. I thought that we weren't anywhere near as aggressive as we were towards the end of the first half. And I thought we were playing a lot better. But of course, we were one goal to nil down. But I thought we started the second half very well, and when we equalised, it was a result of quite a lot of pressure that we had in the game. The second goal was the unfortunate one. I mean, it's a wonderful goal, of course. I mean, to run that far and still get the ball in the corner, uh, that was the goal that won the game, really. The last one just sort of sealed it. But uh, I still get a feeling that we've got a bit less than perhaps the team's performance deserved. But uh, you get what you get, and it's zero points and another defeat, which, of course, we're very unhappy about.
4: Just look at the one positive aspect, of course, you can see your delight when Benteke scores and that that long run without a goal is lifted from his shoulders.
5: Yep, that was very good. I mean, strangely enough, you know, that was a a goal which the goalkeeper could possibly have saved. And the one that he really should have no chance of saving, he, he produces a wonder save when we hit the post in that situation as well. So I thought there was a... Even when we went 2-1 down, I thought we we showed a, a lot of initiative to get back in the game and we were very very close to getting that equaliser but the longer the game goes on of course and you approach the end every time the ball goes out of play you you lose valuable time and there's quite a lot of free kicks the referee was giving which was losing valuable time for us and in the end we just ran out of time to keep the sort of pressure up. Injuries. To Tompkins' injury is that serious? could be i mean we won't know until of course it's fully assessed but it's a, a hamstring injury so i always fear when you get those it's going to be weeks rather than days but of course we won't know until it's uh, properly assessed
4: you go into some sort of so called winter break here is it a time to reassess the position try to find a solution to this run
5: well the solution i think is to make sure we play like we did for large periods of the game today and, uh, and as well as we did last week so I don't necessarily fear the performances as such. I think the way we've played certainly these last two games, which we both lost, um, have been sufficient to give me some, some uh, hope, if you like, or, or some belief that we're going to play well enough to get ourselves back on winning tracks. But unfortunately, you have to suffer the defeats and uh, you know there's no amount of words that are going to change anything. Thank you, Roy. My pleasure
1: couple of interesting words there from Roy Hodgson hope Kyle and belief he still has it do you think palace fans still have it
3: uh, i don't i i think they'll look at benteke's miss as an example of well he scored today because pickford had a chakra on that play they probably could have trapped the ball and if we don't have someone that can be consistent up top what we're seeing is th- they're Their threat in the attacking third means every game the margins are so tight, where they're they're going to constantly be sort of chasing back into a game. And I just don't think that they're sharp enough in the attacking third, simply because I don't think he sets them up that way. Now, you could say he doesn't have the personnel, but with Wilfred Zaha being anonymous through most of today, it has a lot to do with how they play, rather than not having the ingredients. So what should he do, do you think? What, what, what? in
1: terms of setting them up better? I
3: mean, I, so in the second half, they started to come into the game for two reasons. One is and Jim said it, they sat back a little bit. Everton switched their formation to 4-5-1 gave them a little bit more space and added another attacking player, let their fullbacks go a little bit higher. It is a game of risk and so yeah, you can you can make sure you're not the one to make the errors. You can make sure you can capitalize on the other side errors, but when you don't have a threatening goal scorer and you're where they are on the table, at some point you, you have to take risks. Crystal Palace have now wanted to be that team for so long and they're, they're still not
2: every season Rebecca Palace have their plunge sometimes it starts at the beginning of the season a run with, with not many wins sometimes in the middle of the season which we're getting now it's a run with, with, with not many wins six points above the relegation positions at the moment the tactic that Roy has that's like defend 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 give the ball to Wilf he'll dribble past something to make happen is not a tactic it's not going to get them out of trouble three games coming up Newcastle Brighton Watford At the end of those games, we'll know whether Crystal Palace are in a fight Mm -hmm. to stay in this league or they're going to, again, get themselves mid-table and be safe and comfortable. Talk about contracts and all that's got to go on hold Mm -hmm. now. Crystal Palace need to concentrate on getting some points.
1: The Palace Plunge. The palace Plunge. I pal. like it, Robbie Earl. Now, since the sacking of Marco Silva, there is no doubt as to the upturn in Everton's season. Under Silva, fifteen games, nine defeats. Since he was fired, they've played eleven games, not all, of course. Under Carlo Ancelotti, because Duncan Ferguson was caretaker manager. But look at that—they have lost just one. They've gone from eighteenth to seventh. Is the Italian
4: another victory, Carlo? I know. What do you make of a performance? So you always ask for more.
6: So what's your verdict? The performance, yeah. the, b- the best thing today is the result. Performance uh, uh, was not so was not so good, it was a difficult game. A lot of interruption in the game, a lot of throwing. We were not able to keep our intensity in the game, but at the end, in the, in the, the worst moment of us, uh, Richardson did a fantastic uh, contra- counterattack, and we won for this reason. It's a great victory. For the fact that uh, it's before the winter, the, uh, before the break, I think that for us it's important to have a break and to prepare the next games. And that's
4: the strength you have, that, that finishing of Richarlison, the, the combination with Calvert Lewin, that's working well.
6: Yeah, it's working well. We know that they have this kind of quality. Our Richarlison is a fantastic player in counter attack. Uh, we use that, that situation really well. Uh, Dominic flicked the ball. Um, Rijal's counter-attack was absolutely outstanding.
4: And of course, that Walcott injury that caused a problem, didn't it? It seemed to disrupt you for a little while that first half.
6: Well, because honestly, in the squad, there is no player that can replace the the the, the, the skills, the ability of Walcott. Sometimes we have used uh, in that position CBD that did well, but is more defensively. Uh, it has more defensively quality compared to to Walcott. I, I hope that will not be serious uh, injury, but we have to see tomorrow. Are you going to tell
4: him off turning up with both socks, CDB He seemed to have one sock and disappeared that. <laughs> it's a new experience for me, also this. <laughs> new experience for us all. I mean, and in terms of European football now, this, there's no one in that chasing pack that you're among who's in the same form as you are. So is this a realistic target now, people are talking about Everton getting into Europe?
6: Ah, this is the target. I think that uh, until I arrived, uh, since the, uh, I arrived, the, the, the team did a fantastic uh, job, uh, really well, really appreciate the effort that they did, uh, everyone in the club. And now I think that we have a possibility to think about uh, Europa League. Thank you, Carl. Thank you.
1: So a point then for Brighton and a point for Watford. Robbie Earle, mm. it's starting to get very worrying, this dropping points on a regular basis from winning positions for Watford, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, because Nigel Pearson, we talked about the new manager bump that, that came in. Last four games, they've got one point now, Rebecca. They do, they've often done the hard bit, got themselves ahead, but then it becomes a mentality thing and it becomes a habit thing. You win, you're winning in a game, but you don't believe you're going to see that out. And that's something Nigel's going to have to address. The next two games, Manchester United and Liverpool. So we're not sure how many points we're going to get from them. And they could be right in it if they're not careful.
1: That's a good point. Tough run for them to come. So take me into the position of a player then. As Robbie says, it becomes a habit. You go off and then you, you start to lose faith that you can see it out and then that manifests itself in... in, in how does it do that, Carl? Yeah,
3: I think there's two different ways. One is um, not having the confidence that you could actually possess the ball and manage a game out. That, that, that's one way that you terrible giveaways or people not making angles to receive the ball. You don't want to be the person that gave it away this game and caused the the, the drop points. Or, or it's um, you have defensive details that you just fall asleep on. And for a lot of the game, uh, you know Watford were excellent. And I, and I will give Brighton the credit that they did push the issue. They threw a different challenge at them. We're throwing a lot of numbers up top. The own goal was unlucky, but forced in that they were falling back on their heels and they lost a bit of intensity. So it, I think it comes almost like a hoodoo where, where you're kind of waiting for the moment where something breaks down and you just got to break it by going through a, a series of games where you don't have those lapses
1: We we'll take you back to the Amex to Arlo and to Lee we've been talking gentlemen the last 10 minutes since the end of the game really about Watford's tendency now in recent mm. games this habit as Robbie Earl called it of leading and then dropping the points they're both going to be concerned these managers but especially Pearson
7: well it would appear so 17 points dropped from winning positions that's
0: the third time in a row it's happened and um, In terms of the managers, who would be the happier, given it ended 1-1? Well,
8: I think um, Graham Potter, certainly from being behind and looking like they were going to lose the three points to getting back into it, and also the fact that they're ahead in the league, so Watford haven't caught them up. I think he'll be the happier. Certainly, with Pearson he'll be looking at that like the boys have talked about in the, in the studio and saying it, it is a thing there's no doubt about it we're making a thing of it the press because it's standing out on the list and you're going wow that can't keep happening and I said to him in commentary is it a fitness thing it doesn't appear so they, mm. seem, they seem like they're still putting the effort in but it starts to become a mental thing you start just dropping off that yard when you think oh let's protect something and then, it, then, and then, then people are talking about it after the game and they will be doing so until they stop that run and and that's cost them so far this season, even though they're still in it. And the fact that it's a draw is still tight as anything, could go anyway. Who's best equipped on the evidence of today to stay up? Uh, probably say Watford be- because they, they, you know, with with Brighton, I just think that they're they kind of running out of ideas, even though they played better in the second half. I think Watford...
1: Crystal Palace are right now in 14th and they are still six points above the bottom three. Robbie Earle, are they too good to go down, Palace?
2: No. They're, they've played a game more than some teams in the bottom, Rebecca, so that, so that gap could drop to three points. Um, when you look at the goal scorer, Christian Benteke's got one Premier League goal. Cavett Lewis has got 11, Michelson's got nine. That's at the other end, end of the pitch. Haven't won a game since Boxing Day. Joint lowest scorers in the league... A tactic that looks like they defend for the first half of the game and then whenever they can, they give it to Wolf Zaha let Wolf go on. That could get you in trouble. The- Better players than that, they, they've got a good manager who can organise, but if they get into the mindset that we're too good, that we've got enough points, let me tell you, they, they could be down there.
1: From Everton's perspective, it's going so well under Carlo Ancelotti. Of course, he just wants to get to the end of the season where he can really regroup, he can reshuffle, get, bring some players in. How much does the name Carlo Ancelotti change the way Everton can recruit this summer?
3: Uh, immediately. Immediately. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti is a name that's associated with super clubs that win super trophies. And so I think when he goes to Everton, there might be agents um, typically behind every transaction, whether a player wants to go there or not, saying, well, maybe Ancelotti's kind of taking a step down. Maybe he's not with his game. And they'll see the project he's building. They'll know that there's an owner that's willing to spend money. They'll see um, that there's a side that has gaping holes in it in terms of the quality that Ancelotti typically gets to work with and the quality he needs in order to get to Europe. So I think players all over Europe are going to say, you know, give 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 Everton a call. What Everton do have is a real manager, Rebecca.
2: A guy who I've seen times when that win like today, people be popping champagne and going crazy at Everton, hear what he said about the performance, not mm. good enough. They're going to play better teams than Palace who will hurt them in those 20-minute spells when they don't play. This is what I always call a gaffer, a guy who takes hold of the football club, who sets the standards and wants to win. And those who don't want to go with him, they'll be out the door.
7: Graham, the cold statistic <laughs> says it was an own goal that uh, got you the point. I think that's a little bit harsh, though, because second half in particular, you pushed, you pushed, you pushed. Yeah, we did. Um, gave a lot in the game. Um, difficult to go behind when we. I think we started the game quite well and, and was on the ascendancy a little bit, pushing them back. Um, we have to look at again at the goal, but I felt there was a hot. You know, it was a great strike, but it wasn't from too much. Um, and then we have to play a role in the game because we're one nil down. The crowd gets a little nervous, and uh, the atmosphere is difficult. So um, that's why I'm more pleased with the players and more proud of the players because we took the we took the game, we took the responsibility of the game, and and pushed in the second half and deserved the the goal. I think. For their goal, Ducouré covered a lot of ground in the run. Could more of your players squeezed across, covered up, protect the centre of your defence? Yeah, I think that's one of the things we have to look at in any goal. I think you can always do something better. Um, like I said, there was a turnover, we actually did quite well, got out, Aaron Moy was breaking the lines and, and we're looking to play him behind them, ricochets to them and he's got quality and physicality and it's a great strike, but of course every goal I think is one of those you want to try and do better with. After that goal, the Amit's probably got a nervier place than I've ever witnessed it, it was very, very nervy, very anxious, can't, can't do the players the world are good that. No, it's not easy, and that's why I'm more proud of the, proud of the players, the, the character they show, the responsibility they show, that they accepted the, the challenge um, because you could go under at that point. And again, with Watford's transition players and quality, it's not easy to, to be the one that's got to try and find the answers, especially when teams defend deep. Um, but we did. I thought we pushed and pushed, showed courage, showed bravery and quality, and Adam Moy had a good chance just before we scored. Um, and yeah, it's an own goal, but it's another good uh, good attack.
8: It was all in front of your goal in the second half. Are you happy to come away with this with something?
7: Um, obviously, the way that, you know, the goal went in against us, um, very disappointing. But, you know, Maps is just trying his best. He hasn't trying to score an own goal, um, even though... The, ben, it, he it could was, have jumped out of the way he, of it, you was, know. It was, he, I even then, I don't think he's trying to put it in the back of the net. But, you know, that's football sometimes. It goes against you. Um, but fair play to the lads, you know, the back four, the back sort of eight at uh, times. Um, they threw it all at us today and they stood strong for a lot of it. Let's turn to you. And after we spoke pre-game
8: about that misfortune, early season, the own goal, you scored a beauty today. What are your recollections of it?
2: Yeah, of course. I think, uh, like I said in the, the previous interview, I scored an own goal in the, in the first game of the season. On our, I want to, to score today to help the team. Today, we are, you're a little bit disappointed about the result. But
8: we, we carry on and we, we fight until the end. This position that you're playing in at the moment, does it suit you better?
0: Yeah, I think so, because I score more goals and I help better, I think, the, the team. But uh, the most important is the team, is the way I play, is the way I help my teammates. And uh, today Ben make a, a great save as well, so everyone make good, uh, good, good thing today. Unlucky we, we consider the goal, but uh, it's good for the, for the next game.
1: Both Brighton and Watford have 12 games left to play. Of course, Watford are still in that bottom three, Kyle. Brighton are out of it for now. Who are you most worried about?
3: I, I think I'm most worried about Brighton. Um, Despite you know, been, the fact
1: they're out of the bottom three?
3: Yeah, I am. I just, I, I think eventually... I. I if I give on paper quality, I think I lean it to, to Watford. Um I think that Pearson actually is hard done by and that he has turned things around a little bit and you know, minor details with own goals has been Burnham, especially the last three games. I, I think Brighton's um the way they play is is just taking a little bit long to set in. And I think there's just this reluctance to shift from it, and they might run out of time. I mean, they're, they're going to start to feel comfortable here, and they're kind of hitting that ground where it's a false comfort that you have, especially when you haven't really put together a serious one. And they've got a, they've got a tough run, too, just like Watford right now.
1: That false comfort, you called it in the pregame match uh, this morning yeah. back at 7 o'clock, yeah. the Brighton bubble. You're yeah. concerned about almost that complacency.
2: Yeah, they, they, they get a bit insular that we talk about what Graham Potter's doing and all the processes at the fo- football club, and you look at possession, they always have good bit possession. But Rebecca, they're not getting enough points. One win in 11 Premier League games. You said there's 12 more to go. Mm-hmm. That might mean two more wins at this current rate. They've got to find a way to be more desperate, to bear the souls, and, and play a different way that isn't always as is pleasing on the eye, but get the results. <laughs>
1: Bad news. I'm afraid Storm Kira has hit Britain hard this morning and as a result they've had to postpone the game between Manchester City and West Ham which was due to kick off at 11.30am Eastern. Now this rarely happens in the top level of English football when weather becomes the defining issue. But on grounds of safety, as you can see here from this map, it's bad. This is the decision that has been made. And Manchester City have made a statement in the last 45 minutes. Due to extreme and escalating weather conditions and the interests of supporter and staff safety, today's match has been postponed. This decision has been made by Manchester City's safety officer following consultation with club stakeholders and officials at West Ham. Further information regarding the rescheduling of today's match will be published in due course. So once again, if you're just waking up a little bleary-eyed, it's true, I'm afraid, Manchester City against West Ham has been postponed. Robbie, I'll start with you. The yeah. postponement of City against West Ham, <laughs> yeah, disappointing, of course, on the day for not only the players and the staff, but the fans Absolutely. who are looking forward Travelers, to it, and us, yeah. of course, here mm-hmm. um, on NBCSN. But how will it affect both these teams' going through, uh, going forward, having to reschedule this game now?
2: Not helpful. From West Ham's point of view, Rebecca, I would probably look at this game, chance to get some points and get out the bottom three with a storm and with the conditions might actually be a leveller, might actually help us. Man City might not be able to play their football just as much as they'd like. And there's a narrative around City at the moment that they're not converting chances, things aren't going so well. So from West Ham's point of view, I think I'd want this game to be played and, and I'd want to get the points. It's not the kind of game I'm going to look forward to in the future, thing we've got a game in hand away at Manchester City. That doesn't give you that much uh, positive thoughts about getting points.
1: From Manchester City's perspective, Kyle, they've got the Champions League, they've got the League Cup final coming up, mm. still in the FA Cup as well. The last thing they need is a midweek <laughs> rearranged game at some point in at who knows when at the moment.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess... Um... They won't see this silver lining, but the fact that they are nowhere near the title, they can play players that they haven't been playing. And I guess that's a bigger question we'll get onto when we talk about Manchester City later. They have the depth to be able to handle a Premier League game thrown into the schedule. It is the cup competitions that are going to take priority. So I don't know if it will affect them nearly as much as West Ham, who desperately need the point. I mean, poor West Ham. And they live in a storm. And, and, and here they are, uh, having their schedule changed. I mean, this wasn't a game they probably expected to pick up points anyway. But you kind of wanted to get it past and stay on the rhythm of playing games. From Man
2: City's point of view, Rebecca, I think it's, it's quite important. And you make the point about congestive sort of second half of the season with the three com- competitions that have now become real focus with the title gone. I'm thinking about the narrative around the football club at the moment Today to go out and beat West Ham four or five. Changes that a little bit. They, you know, they're not they're not losing their edge. They, they can convert the chances. You know, the, the, there's a little bit of a negativity around the football club at the moment. And playing West Ham at home and getting a good win would help to address I, that.
3: Yeah, in your in your career, um, you, when you have a bad game or in a bad moment, you want to play as soon mm, as possible. Yeah. I mean, lingering and waiting for the next game mm. is the worst thing.
1: But if you you hinted at it there, if you're Man City playing in a storm, playing in these kind of conditions, is that conducive to beating West Ham four or five nil?
3: Well, you'd think it's doesn't help their game the way they the way they like to play. You know, we, we, with or you know, without
2: we, a storm. I think. I guess if on Man City. The, the one positive I would say is that Ryan Sterling gets an extra week or yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Might get him back. And the port we're hearing is is training, but not quite full match fitness. Again, that gives them a little bit of time to get
3: those players. I, mean, I didn't think rain. I mean, you got mm-hmm. England. No, I don't no, think you guys, kids. <laughs> trust me, Carl, this is another level. I'll <laughs> no, no, the it's right, in a it's obviously the right. Has call. It ever happened to you? Like I mean, cheap.
1: either the build-up when mm. you're a player, you spend all week yeah. planning oh, for a huge game, and it's... there are not many Premier League games over the course of the season—only no. 38. So, how do you feel as a player when you're absolutely ready to go and then it's called mm. off?
3: that I have way too many carbs in my body at this point. <laughs> no, I, it, it, it's, I hated night games, I mean, I, I, where you had to wait all day long. I mean, this is, this is even worse, where you, sit, you get all geared up, you're ready to go, you're in that mental space. It's kind of hard to unwind out of that. Situation. There's a
2: special feeling, Rebecca, before you play a Premier League game, it's a bit of nerves and excitement and can't wait for the show to go. And when you get told the oh. game's off, it's like somebody switches that off mm. and everything goes dead inside you, and it's like, oh... You just can't have that moment back again, and, and that's what will happen and to for, these players. And
3: for planning-wise stuff, I mean, mm. they probably get into their bubble at the training site and, and go. Now, now you're in a training session when you were set for a mm. game plan. It's just, it, it, it's rare. It's rare that it happens.
1: And you got to feel for the West Ham fans as well. Yes, we have traveled been, they've travelled up from East off. London oh, this morning yeah. at the crack of dawn, mm, and now they are literally it, coming off the motorway, going and driving <laughs> back again. Indeed, and it's it's also not fun as well driving in these conditions. They're not playing today, so they're going to have a game in hand. They're playing the League Cup final in a couple of weeks' time. They're going to have to have another game in hand. They're going to have two extra games to fit in it somewhere across the season, Manchester City. After the game last weekend when they lost at Spurs, all the reports in the papers were that the players were saying to Pep, you're rotating too much, you're tinkering too much. Whether or not those reports are correct, the fact that the optics are... The unrest in the dressing room is damaging, is it not?
3: Um, I kind of have a different take on it. I understand how it seems like airing dirty laundry or um, people have disagreements with Pep, but but the context is Pep always invites this. He, he asks, and I think the Amazon documentary gave us a little light into this. And and I don't know how you felt, but as a player, you love the floor because a lot of times this happens when the manager's not there. It's the manager comes in, yells, goes into the other room, and then we say, I can't believe he's changing the team so much. <laughs> you know, he can't do this. So um, I think it's a really thing that Pep has always invited this and I think these conversations have happened in the past but things were going well and they didn't come out but I I do see your point in that it's just another thing on them right now I'll just break a myth these
2: conversations happen once a season every club all all over the league Rebecca and managers sit down sometimes they listen to players you're allowed to give an opinion often managers listen nod and do what they're going to do anyway (laughs) but the Just because it happened doesn't necessarily mean it's a terrible thing. But Pepsi Alpha Male, he will walk out of that dressing room still in charge of that football club. So there's not too much going on wrong there.
1: Let's focus on some notes that came out of the shareholders meeting at the Premier League. That's all the uh, owners of the Premier League clubs getting together. It happens regular occasions throughout the season. The new season will start over the weekend of August the 8th. That's 2020-2021. The transfer window will now close in the summer on September the 1st. So clubs will have a good few weeks of the season before they have to finish all of their business. And importantly that now realigns with Europe's other major leagues. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And also clubs have said that they are committed to introducing league-wide bans for anyone banned by their club for discriminatory, abusive or violent acts. We're also going to talk about the winter break of course we are in it right now but for the boot room this morning we're going to start by talking about this new date for the summer transfer window well kyle i say new date it's not actually a new date it's it a, <laughs> it, a new old date indeed for the last two seasons they decided to change it to have yeah. it the night before the season started which i think caused everyone a lot of problems now they've realigned themselves once more with europe because the point was that europe didn't come and meet the premier league mm-hmm. and also bring it the mm-hmm. night before which allowed players to still be bought and sold to european clubs so players could could still leave clubs, but they couldn't buy anybody, English clubs. That was the point. So, what do you make of whether this is now the right choice by Premier League clubs to revert back to end of August, beginning of September? Well,
3: I, th- I think it shows a maturity and a security from the Premier League to say it didn't work. Um, I'm surprised, I guess maybe I'm not surprised it didn't. I, I was hopeful it was going to work and that it's the right call to say it's a distraction to the beginning of the season, to have players that, that are, you're, buy- as a fan, buying a jersey of that might be at a different club, and you just bought the new kit. Um, the, the, I, you know, you're, I've been in teams where it's a bit uncertain if people are going to be there to start a season or a month later or gone, and it's just... Um, we were hopeful, I think, people that believed in this rule, that the rest of Europe would have said, OK, well, the Premier Leagues are the biggest buyers out there. They move markets. If they're going to make this big stance, we've got to go their way. But I think the rest of Europe said, no, 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 stay strong and, and, and these guys will change, and they did. What do you think, Robert? Manchester, uh, Premier League clubs hurt
2: themselves, Rebecca. Manchester United were, were a great example. Remember, the, Lukaku went on the tra- transfer deadline last day, so... They couldn't do any business then. Lexi Sanchez left after the window had closed in England but was open in Europe. They couldn't do any business then. Those are the key situations where Premier League clubs were hamstringing themselves, were hurting themselves. And aligning now with with, with the rest of Europe makes so much more common sense. And just quickly from a point of view, if you're... Crystal Palace started the season lost four games. At least now if you lose four games and you think, I need an emergency, you can do that in, in, in that period. But or if somebody gets injured, yeah. you can replace them. But
1: the unsettling nature that Carl talked about, we I remember talking a lot about this. I mean, in a perfect world, mm. would you have it the night before the season with the entire European Yeah, League?
2: if everybody yeah. in Europe yeah. came with me. But if, if everybody in Europe okay. can still do business and I'm the only yeah. one who's short, Rebecca, I don't want my place to be able to leave me over a 20 20, 20
3: Day I think it hurts young players, too, because sometimes those injuries at the beginning of the year are an opportunity that pops up for a young player. And if you could just go to the market and buy, buy the replacement or, or ship a guy out, you know, I, I do think that's sort of a byproduct of why the Premier League wanted to start the season and say, what we've got is what you've got to play with.
1: OK, so. Maybe not yet in a perfect world, but trying to certainly realign. In terms of the winter break, here we are, Mm. right in the middle of it. And and ironically, or maybe not so much, a storm has actually caused the postponement of a game Mm. today. Um, Next weekend, there are going to be six games, so again, a reduced schedule list. The criticism of it so far, and Mm. we're only halfway through, is that it's come too late because we have seen many injuries over the past three weeks. Mm. to lots of players that arguably, if there'd been a winter break, maybe hadn't. May not have happened. In other clubs, uh, other leagues around the world, Mm. winter break is earlier. What do you think?
2: Um, That it's a step in the right direction. I think a little bit like Vor, the winter break is going to need tweaking. Might be a season or two before we get to what is a real winter break where the whole thing shuts down and everybody gets a two-week break. But I think we shouldn't be too negative on this one. I think it's something that's needed. I was in the past a little bit like, well, we didn't used to have one and in my day, and let's keep playing. But you see the intensity of the game now, Rebecca, the speed of the game. The injuries to top-class players because of the constant play and, and, and the level of, of the football is something that the Premier League have to look at seriously and I think have to in the next year or two put something in there where everything will shut down.
3: Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's strange that some have a break, some don't, and it's at different different times. I mean, that, that that's kind of... Well, they all have a
1: break. Yeah, it's but just it's like you say, staggered But the break
3: either helps you more than it than it does someone sure. else, based on the timing of when you get your break. So, right. that seems a competitive disadvantage and, and a bit arbitrary. I know why they have to do it. And for me, I'm, I'm going to leave my players' union real quick to say it's a business, and it's a, it's an amazing thing when a lot of other leagues go dark, and there isn't a lot of great football on television, to be around with your family, to be around during holiday periods, and have all of these incredible games uh, coming at you. So, but, I under- get,
2: but we're getting games that are 70% of what they could be because the intensity goes down. Are they, some, some, are of they the star, some of the star I mean, players are, are, aren't playing. Harry Kane isn't playing. You want to go watch Tottenham if you're an American fan, you want to go to watch Spurs, and Harry Kane isn't playing. Or Raheem Sterling's not playing for Manchester City you 're not getting the true one hundred percent real top edge Premier League games
3: yeah i mean i, I, I guess I, I guess thats that 's the opportunity cost of How damaging is it when you start adding minutes to to players? And listen, I mean, with all the cup competitions and World Cups in the summers, I mean, the the minutes are getting kind of crazy and what you're demanding of players that now in the modern game is even somehow more physical and more demanding than it used to be. And I guess science then catches up to try to help players recover quickly. So I don't know. I want to watch great games and I want to watch great players. So it's like that's the catch 22 is that if we're not going to see the players we want to see during the fixtures that are on because it's too many games, they don't get a break. That's a, that's a bad thing. I'm for winter sun. Let's get a bit of sun on your back. A bit
1: of winter <laughs> sun. Because, yeah. I mean, the timing of it, Carl, right now, we're two-thirds mm-hmm. of the way through the season. This isn't midway. I, I remember... Well, no, thing.
3: but the break, the break were like everyone else, would have been a lot earlier. That, I'm, I'm arguing based on... An actual winter break like the rest of the world. Right. That's what you were right. saying. Just okay. back in the day, so Alex
2: Ferguson, and you look back at the records, used to send his players off. I remember Ronaldo doing it. I remember Giggs doing it. I remember Scholes at one time and, and Andy Cole. Every now and then during the season, he'd say, off you go for a week. He'd, send, he'd almost have his own break where he'd say, you've had too much football, you've been playing a lot of games, you're a young player yeah. still developing, he would make sure he looks after his
3: talent. And and Liverpool did that with Sterling a few seasons back, I remember. Uh,
1: yeah. That's true. And there is one thing to be said, though Chris Wilder in fact said it this week, the fans mm. who keep the league running, yeah. they do not want a winter break. Yeah. That is mm. just one thing to bear in mind. Trust us, fans, We we don't want winter break. We want as much football as possible. Let's talk though about Sheffield United's victory. We will show you A rare chance of seeing Chris Wilder Mm -hmm. sort of lose himself a little bit on the side of the field. We'll show that to you in the highlights um, shortly. But um, they're up to fifth in the league Mm. with 12 games to go. You cannot say they're not in this Champions League race.
2: It's remarkable, Rebecca. We'd have said before a ball was kicked... 26 games will be played, one of these teams will be fifth and one will be 16th, we'd go, oh, Bournemouth must have had a really good season. We never expected Sheffield United, I think everybody to a man thought that Sheffield United would be lying down at the bottom of the league and do well to stay in there. To be sitting where they're sitting, Um, quickly, I just want to say, it's not just about spirit and character and hard work and all the things... They're technically very good and tactically very well set up, and Chris Wilder has to take a lot of credit for that.
1: There is definitely a school of thought in the United Kingdom where an English manager, a very earthy man like Chris Wilder, is only seen as someone mm. who can produce teams with spirit, as Robbie said. But this manager, Wilder, he has got so much more than just that.
3: And if you were to, you know, it's funny we've got this old cliche of the Pepsi Challenge. You know, if you didn't know what what you were actually looking at, if, if you didn't know it was Chris Wilder, and you just watched this team, you'd think S- is a Spanish manager. I mean, is it you know Italian? What I mean, what is this? The ideas are brilliant. We'll see if he wants the Spurs job or whatever when it comes up. And so it, it's going to be another example of. If he doesn't get his credit now, if he's not linked with these big jobs, well, it's just not going to happen, and it's people being stereotypical about British managers because watching his team play is the most impressive part about where they are. I was desperately going through my emails trying to see, did I have them in the relegation zone? Which I'm sure our, our, our wonderful research team is going to say, Kyle, I think you did. Um, and it's just the style of play. And also – Take Fulham. They wanted to come into the league and play out of the back and stuff, but they made the mistake of just redoing the whole team and buying a bunch of new players. This shows you what you can do where you give some players that little bit of extra push saying, are are you capable of the next level?
1: And you can buy a Sander Berger and he Mm. can uh, not have a great game. And on can come Lundstrom,
3: who should be playing and he wins
1: the game. Yeah, absolutely. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. I'm Rebecca Lowe. Bye for now.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed...